The views and opinions we express in this podcast are our own and do not represent the official position of the Youth in Government Program or the YMCA. Hello, friends. You're listening to Yag and Recreation, a podcast that delves into all things related or semi-related to the Washington State Youth Legislature. My name is Anna, but I'm only half the team here, and this all wouldn't be possible without my brilliantly nerdy brother, James. We have a huge passion for this program and have had a lot of different experiences in it, so we're doing this project to share some of that passion with you. Whether you just enjoy listening to us reminisce about YAG, or you're hoping for some tidbits of knowledge to improve your experience in Youth Ledge or find something to share with your delegation, we welcome you. This is part two of our visit to the 2001 session. If you missed part one, we really recommend that you go back and listen to it first. Since I've been given ultimate power over editing, which James may regret, I've pulled together some highlights from last episode to catch everyone up. In case you need a refresher, enjoy. This week, we're stepping into the the Wayback Machine um, and traveling back in time 20 years to the session of 2001. I'll try to keep it brief, 2000-2001. Just incredibly chaotic. Lots of confusion, lots of arguments. The federal government had too much money. Tax cuts, Kyoto Accords on greenhouse gases. Funny thing, local politics. The state house was split 49-49. Two speakers of the house, two chairs for every house legislative committee. The Nisqually earthquake. It was a big one. The Capitol Dome. The structures inside the Capitol were damaged. $100 million retrofit over the following years. Disrupted session life, which I'll leave to you. Session was at the beginning of May. Pretty much the same schedule host homes all sorts of little tidbits about session well attended session the booming year got the governor Pulitzer Prize winning political cartoonist David Horsey the governor's cabinet began yeah absolutely our conversation with Michelle I'm Michelle my 30th year all of these kids are smarter than I am it's pretty cool I was suitably frightened about the nude beach we had an earthquake and we ran outside and down the stairs dances have changed put your shirt back on please go get me some licorice it was fine and that's what happened on our last episode (gasps) and now please enjoy part two of 2001 a youth ledge odyssey so that was great to hear from michelle uh, and hear what her memories were i definitely learned some things Mm -hmm. heard some things i'd never heard before following our talk with her i went through and counted delegates in in the rosters and like looked at um, the size of delegations from back then, mm-hmm. and the smallest delegations had two people, wow. and then the largest delegation had fifty-one. And was fifty-one? Was that the group I came with? That was that was your yeah. tribe oh, of my Lord. young people. Oh, herding <laughs> that many teenagers around anywhere would have been chaotic enough. I remember Evergreen being just <laughs> a monumentally difficult task. Yeah. Yeah, I had um, thirteen. I had a full. I had a full. That's a great fifteen number. passenger van. That's a great. It was number. perfect number. It was a beautiful, yeah. a little assortment of different ideas. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I went and looked at the lobbyist list too. There were sixty-five lobbyists. Wow. Um, and wow. only two leaders. Wow. Two two leaders. 
65 lobbyists. Well, lobbyists were a wilder breed back then. They weren't as well organized as they are in the modern system, so. It was, you know, I mean, I we mentioned it was the beginnings of them identifying interest groups. And so yeah. they really were just running wild, trying to get bills passed that mattered to them individually. Mm-hmm. And um, that reception, I mean, people who've been to session at Hotel RL, which is now the Olympia Hotel, mm-hmm. we were there in those breezeways between the lobby and the hotel rooms, crammed full with lobbyists at tables trying to hawk pamphlets and yes. argue with each other. Yes. Um, which I don't actually remember that. I've just heard stories. I was on some special oh, errand, I, was, I think. I was crammed into those hallways, and it, it is, it it deserves its legendary status as just a, absolute mess (laughs) i mean it was such a it was such a good idea in some ways that the students were expected to lobby on behalf of interests but as a practical matter what i did mean is that if you were a student who felt really impassioned about an issue it added this this weight right and this air of gravity to what you were saying because you weren't just a person expressing an opinion. You felt like you were representing your people. Um, it, right. It, that that I think we found it was a little too explosive a thing at that reception anyway. Well, and verging on 500 people. Too many. <laughs> not able to go down to the ballroom because it was being set for dinner. Yes. Um, in just even like the meeting spaces because the, the Capitol Capers, it says um, one of the reports in there was that they were in meeting rooms as well as the hallways. Um, but just thinking about that many people in that tight of a space mm-hmm. all, I think there was perhaps finger foods available. I, I can't. There was, there was some kind of hors d'oeuvre, although I, I don't remember ever actually making it to a table with food on it because it was I just. I think they were at the lobbyist the tables so that people would go meet with the lobbyists mm-hmm. and get food there and be trapped into talking. Chaos. I think part of this is to make the banquet my guess is to make the banquet more special mm-hmm. because it used to be the banquet and ball. And it was this big thing. We'd all get dressed up, have a plated, disgusting dinner mm-hmm. and listen to someone talk to us. And then we'd get to dance for three hours and have like fun and just like be kids together. Right. Um, and with the divide of having the dance on a different night, just having a banquet probably felt like not enough. I think you're probably right. Yeah. That's my guess. Um, we continued for the several years to have s- sort of lobbyist receptions, but I don't know. We held them like outdoors along the like diagonals and things like that on the Capitol campus. Yeah. It was a much better vibe. It never really worked, but it was it was yeah. interesting. It was well, fun. and having having the lobbyists select interest groups also was really challenging because it was hard to find a broad enough topic yes. to cover, but that you were still interested in. Yes. Anyway, um, that's the lobbyists. And uh, one of the other things I wanted to bring up from our talk with Michelle, now that I've had some time to think about it, mm-hmm. is um, the introduction of the cabinet. Yeah. Um, her mentioning that we needed some more leadership roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- which was very true at the time, especially with 450 high school students yep. needing to give more opportunity for students to step into leadership roles. Mm-hmm. Um, we've held on to all of these leadership roles that we built. Yes as our numbers have gone down. And so it's become this weird thing of like, we have too many leadership roles for the number of available students and the age and experience that they have. And their level of interest. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so 
um, it's a challenging problem to have of you're experiencing growth and you want to add value. What happens when you have this disruptive event like a, an earthquake or a pandemic or something that really dramatically shifts the number of participants? How do we reconcile those leadership roles yeah. to still offer meaningful engagement but not have so many that were stretched thin? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I my feeling is, and of course in part because I work with them directly, that the, the cabinet serves some other roles that are really helpful and that, yeah, you know, as we look at our long list of like jobs we've got and which ones we need to keep or could get by without or consolidate or something like that, they're, they're, an, they're a, a position that I think was a good addition to the program 20 years ago. But, I, you know, there's, there would be lots of ways of solving some of these problems for sure. Did you have anything out of our conversations with Michelle that you wanted to sink into a to little sort bit of more? revisit? I think the thing that struck me most was just in some ways how different the experience of session was from a state office perspective versus an individual advisor perspective. Because like some of the things that Michelle was worried about and needing to address were things that I as an advisor just didn't have to think about very much, right? Like, I had heard a rumor that some evergreen kids were, you know, getting a little too friendly and chatty with our students, but I didn't really know what the content of that was. I think because none of my students were directly involved. Um, but obviously that was, like, big thing for, for the state office to address. Whereas something like the um, impeachment saga, which we're about to get into, um, for Michelle was just like, I don't know, it's just a, it's a YAG thing. It'll get sorted out, right, by the students and the advisors. But being one of the advisors on the ground, like, that is what felt like really gripping and grossing sort of stuff. And it's interesting yeah. to just realize how different session looks depending on your level of responsibility and, and how you're engaging with whatever it is that's going on. Well, and I think to, in general, the state office does a really good job of not giving away too much of those background crazy things they're dealing with yeah, until yeah. the information needs to be shared. I agree. Um, but yeah, let's talk, let's talk impeachment yeah. um, because that's, that's all the excitement. That's the big story of the year. That, that and the earthquake. Absolutely. I stand ready with my capital capers okay. for you in case you need anything verified or backed up. <laughs> sure. Uh, so would you like me to sort of lead us into this, Ina? I think so, because my experiences at session, as I mentioned in our interview with Michelle, mm -hmm. I didn't really have a job don't really remember what I did. Definitely don't remember helping the AGs. And so I think I just kind of hung around and I didn't, I didn't firsthand experience mm. hardly any of the saga. My memory of you is that you were kind of the key, the kind of point person at the info desk that like when I needed to find you, that's where I would find you. Um, I definitely did hang out at the info desk. Yeah. There were people assigned there, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think you you might have known more what you were doing. Um, so, well, part of the challenge here for our listeners is that um, the critical events of 2001 legislatively, this big impeachment showdown, happened um, also not where I was. I was, um, I don't think I was yet called like a co-lead or a Sarge lead exactly. I mean, they might have called me lead Sarge advisor for the Senate. Hold on. Yes, James Rosenzweig misspelled okay, Sergeant sure. at Arms. Of course. Yes. Um, this is the era in which being Sarge lead starts to become meaningful. 
because Steve and I worked so well, when Steve stepped up to um, be lead advisor in the Senate, the fact that I was his Sarge lead, like I was sort of there helping him and sort of like, I don't know if Steve stepped out, like I knew I needed to keep an eye on things. Over in the house, um, apart from us, a saga unfolded that um, is a really great example of a lot of different challenges that we sometimes face in youth legislatures. And um, what happened was there was a, um, a kind of quirky, unexpected um, event, which Anne is about to narrate to us from the capers, that um, <laughs> set off some people's um, uh, displeasure with the presiding officer, the speaker of the house. Uh, and the reason we keep using the word impeachment is because literally there was a motion made, um, not really recognized, um, to impeach the speaker. But Anna, can you give us some context? Like what is it that kind of tipped this powder keg off? So I think this all went down on Thursday. Yes. Um, so that was the first day of like session, not committee. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, the house was buzzing with what would happen with the speaker of the house opinion split in half between anger at the loose leadership and anger towards other representatives for taking their anger out about their own failed bills on the speaker of the house. Mm-hmm. What I'm pretty sure I haven't, I mean, I don't have all these memorized, but there was a bill that was going to be debated and it had had amendments that didn't make it to the floor when it was debated and then it failed and the proponent was upset because it had failed and they thought it would have passed had the amendments been correct and Mm -hmm. they wanted to get it reintroduced and they were told that they couldn't Mm -hmm. and people got upset and then they figured out a way to get it reintroduced and then the amendments were confusing and the speaker tried to table it and everyone thought that she was trying to kill it and they got mad at her and then they figured out how to debate it again and they read the whole text of the bill and it still failed. Yes. Um, And in the midst of all of that, the way that it was handled and the way that the rostrum staff handled themselves Mm -hmm. and the way that some of the delegates who were upset handled themselves culminated in someone trying to get the speaker impeached. Yeah. And... One of of the... The rumors that spread, and because I'm not in that room. I don't know if this actually happened or if it's just what people said had happened, but the, this chaotic sequence of events you describe, Anna, um, a reminder to our listeners that this is why it's so, um, all these little things we do, teaching vice chairs how to fill out forms properly and having a good (laughs) secretary of state, like when some things break down, no offense to any of the people involved here, but it did create this real mess in the house. The, the sort of match that finally lit things according to what the story was going around is that when that bill finally failed for the kind of last time, um, the speaker announced it failed and the chaplain on the rostrum. So sort of visible right up in front of this college lecture hall where we're holding the house of representatives, um, allegedly clapped or, or or something like that. There was some disagreement afterwards as to whether the clapping was, him cheering for the failure of the bill or him like relieved or or if it was in reference to something else. I don't know. There was a lot of argument over it. There was something in one of these articles I can't find right this second Mm -hmm. that the, um, the student who stood up and clapped from the rostrum was applauding the decisive leadership of the speaker. Yes. That's That's what he's quoted as saying was his reason for clapping. Sounds like a great 
post um, hoc rationalization of probably a bad decision. <laughs> Again, folks, if you're listening to this and you've ever wondered why we're so kind of tedious in announcing that clapping is or isn't in order, it's moments like this um, that have led uh, our leaders to some caution, right? Trying to remind yes. people what is or isn't okay. And honestly, I think we train the rostrums um, these days with these sorts of memories in mind, right? Reminding them of how visible they are or something you could do if you were in the seventh row of the house. You can't do very easily when you're up in front of everyone. Right. Um, for context for the listener, um, because if you're a good YAG nerd, you might be saying, well, they can't impeach the speaker. It's explicitly forbidden by the rules of order. <laughs> um, it is explicitly forbidden by the rules of order and has been since 2002. There was just nothing in our rules of order. It had never, at least in living memory, come up. I've heard yeah? that there was an impeachment in 83. Okay. Which by 2001, I don't think there was really anybody left from those years. No, but there are people now that we could ask who are back involved. So that could be a future be a great nerdy future little subject. episode. Yes. Um, so, Anna, unfortunately, um, there's, there's more layers here because there is an attempt to impeach. Um, there's some tension, obviously, between the chamber and the speaker. And um, it's not just students who get involved in this kerfuffle. Mm -hmm. um, does, You're right. Does the, I, I casually mentioned that, didn't yeah. I, in our interview? Does the, does the capers <laughs> mention anything about the involvement of an advisor? <laughs> they do. Um, so I have, I have a really lengthy article written by a student mm -hmm. in the paper who, he's now a professional journalist. Yes. Um, he's, he was already quite skilled. And so on, and at some point in our future, we should really just delve into 01 and 02 newspapers because this, this student is just so good. Yes. Um, I, you know, we're trying not to name any names for this whole situation. Sure. And so, cause it was a tense um, one, but we, we do celebrate the work of this particular reporter. This was a lot of investigative shoe leather, um, going on that we don't see yes. as much anymore. Yes, he really went around and interviewed everybody, and he has quotes from people. And so there was a student trying to raise a question of privilege against the Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. And um, then a student in the House rose with a question of privilege against the chaplain, who had stood and clapped half-heartedly along with others in the House at the Speaker's decision. Um, so the student who had tried to raise that question of privilege was quoted later saying, I just thought it was rude for someone to clap for my friend's bill failing. Mm -hmm. Later that day, the chaplain explained his actions. I was clapping along with some others in response to the speaker's firmness. I stood at the same time to talk to someone, not to give a standing ovation. Mm -hmm. um, and so then, let's see. So then he raised that question of privilege and the speaker asked if he was making that against the chaplain and he responded yes and then the speaker said what ac ac what accusation are you making against him and he vaguely replied that he didn't appreciate the clapping for the failure at that point house advisor fill in the blank mm -hmm. stood up along with other house advisor uh -huh. Um, who was related to him uh -huh. um, uh -huh. to clarify the situation that advisor reminded the student and the other house members if you're making an accusation you should be careful because without proof you could be expelled from the chamber on grounds of a personal attack I'm not saying you can't make an accusation but you should know the consequences of a question of privilege if you accuse someone without a good reason 
Um, the student then said he didn't realize, he just felt an apology was necessary, and he didn't want to raise it, and he just sat down because he didn't want to get kicked out of the house. <laughs> but things do escalate somehow. I don't know if the Capers article has it. Um, I know that someone came into the Senate where, truthfully, we were having a lovely year, wonderful session, (laughs) and said, guys, it is melting down. (laughs) And I remember going out the door because these lecture halls had doors directly to the exterior, right? To the the outside, you know, outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. And so I go out and I can see a crowd of people outside the house chamber one of the sort of ringleaders of the impeachment um, debacle just red-faced with rage. My memory is very upset at the advisor who had, you know, sort of scolded a student in the middle of session. And that there was an attempt, they were trying to sort of like keep people apart, like it, it was going to sort of devolve into a real argument um, that they were trying to sort of cool people's heads down. One of the students very much involved who raising a question of privilege yeah. definitely at one point was outside, very angry, yelling, and what he was yelling was perceived as a death threat. Uh, it was, And so he got in a little bit of trouble. It was certainly uh, what I heard I, was aggressive slash violent. Yeah, I would agree. That... I thought the death threat was he was he screamed about the speaker, not about the advisor. But I could be. be wrong. It could be. That's not in the paper. That's just my personal memory. Yeah, this is where everything gets a little murky, doesn't what, it? <laughs> it does get murky. Um, so do you remember about what time that was exploding? Was it Thursday Ooh, at about five forty-five p.m.? It was PM? definitely Thursday afternoon. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when. Okay. So, yeah, there's a timeline a little bit in here that um, the governor was catching wind that stuff was going down with the speaker and that students were going to try and impeach. And so he, the governor, sent his attorney general to call in the speaker for a major officer meeting so that she would be kind of pulled out of the fray. The hope was it would diffuse things, yeah. And... And it made it look to some of the people in the house like she was being removed from her position, like their impeachment yes. attempt had been successful, yes. um, which was not the case. Things much worse. <laughs> um, I mean, literally, there's so many articles about all of this. Yeah. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about this, it was a. Did we say what the bill was about yet? We didn't. It may not really matter, but uh, you can. Well, get I into think it. it. I think it does okay. because it was a bill about legalizing prostitution, mm. which is a frequent hot topic for us. But this era, and so we had so many students, but we had a lot of new young students, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of students coming from very conservative leaning groups. Yes, and so the students who were more, you know liberal Mm -hmm. and excited about the concept of legalizing prostitution and regulating it and making tax money off of it and keeping the women and men who engage in it safe Mm -hmm. um they perceived that they were part of the majority and they weren't i think aware of just how many votes on the other side there were Mm -hmm. and so i think that they were sure this should pass certainly this should pass and when it didn't pass they assumed it was because of the confusion about the amendments and not because the topic was one that concerned a lot of delegates just from their own personal political leanings. And so it's a case where like we're doing this nonpartisan 
program and we we encourage everyone to come and share their ideas but they're coming with their partisan perspective can i sort of get into what i see as the sort of weird perfect storm qualities of this oh one? sure just because i think this is where i feel like we've learned some lessons and we'll probably have to keep learning them part of it is exactly what you're talking about it just happened that year because there's there's often political divisions at in Olympia over some line or other. In this particular case, um, it was pretty widely known that the speaker and a number of members of the rostrum, including the controversial clapping member of the rostrum, were conservative, whereas the sort of loudest voices in the House were liberal. We're speaking in very broad terms here. Yes. But that was that was part of the problem. Another part of the problem is that... Um, we had the combo of uh, a house chamber that was particularly full of that guys. Mm-hmm. And I think I've talked a little bit about that guy on the podcast. I don't remember if we've given that a while, guy but yeah. a full profile. But as a reminder to folks, the that guy is a person who's pretty sure they ought to be running this room. That They're pretty sure that there's something wrong with the leadership in this room. And if only everyone would listen to them, it would be fine. And they use parliamentary motions and bluster and rhetoric to sort of try and disrupt things. We had a pretty vocal crew of that guys, and we had a speaker who was a pretty firm, black and white, not going to back down from a scrap kind of person, as both a strength and a challenge as a leader. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, and this is, again, not always the case for us, but often the case, uh, the gender dynamic exacerbates that because um the that guys were male as they usually are which is why i call them that guys um and in this case Mm -hmm. the speaker was a young woman and so i think that there was also there was also that element in the challenge that um there was there was some sort of unpleasant assumptions about her as a leader and i think some poorer reactions to her assertiveness as a leader that I think might have been received differently if she was a young man and not a young woman. This is all speculation, but I think it's part of the mix. I also think that there was a lack of, I don't know, supportive leadership from the advisors. 100% agreed, unfortunately. The advisor who spoke out of turn and ultimately was removed from the chamber wasn't even supposed to be there. He was assigned to the pages. Yep because he was quite a young advisor. And so perhaps he was supposed to be supervising the pages in the house. I don't, I couldn't tell you. Um, but the, the, the people who were truly supposed to be leading the house, I don't know that they had developed a good relationship with the speaker. Mm-hmm. I know they weren't at training because I was the one who trained the speaker Correct. and I didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't, I didn't give her what she needed mm-hmm. at, at training. Mm-hmm. And I think these advisors, I don't know that they were working well with her. Yeah, I mean, again, because we weren't in the room, we don't know. But I'll say as someone who spent many years as house lead or co-lead, there are just a lot of ways of defusing these problems. But teenagers don't intuitively know them. And if you don't help equip them as an advisor, they run aground like this. Um, There were lots of ways to try and steer this differently than it went it's possible that the advisor for giving all of that advice to a student leader who was just unwilling to hear it i based on my experience of all the people involved i don't think that's true 
I think the younger advisor we're talking about here should have known better what boundaries could and couldn't be crossed. Certainly, once the boundaries have been crossed, should have been a little less defensive and more willing to sort of listen to how that had disrupted things. The advisor, he was interviewed by this student who was writing all these articles, and he said he was told in the past that we're supposed to stop personal attacks. And I did not tell the student that he couldn't go against the chaplain, but that he should be aware of the consequences. Um, which, again, I, that is, that's not incorrect. I mean, we shouldn't allow students to personally attack, but we also don't walk out onto the floor and yell at them. Correct. Like, Correct. <laughs> a student who makes a mistake and inadvertently attacks another student, mm-hmm. that's a student who should be pulled aside. Mm-hmm. We train advisors differently now, don't we? Right? How many times have you and I heard sitting in a welcome advisor orientation, every lead, introduce yourselves. If you're in an area, if you have an issue, you go to the lead advisor, everything passes through them, right? You know, and then they will work with the lead student in the chamber. Like that's what should have happened, right? If, if this advisor genuinely thought, oh no, personal attack is imminent. What he should have done is hastily finding one of the two people who were co-leads in the house right. and said, I'm really concerned about the tenor or the, or the tone of the whatever. What, what can you do about this? Right. It would have been easy. It would have been much easier for there to be a, a calmer resolution there if that had been the pathway. And I think that that's, yeah, that's a change we've made on the schedule for this year. On the first day, there's an orientation for lead advisors. Mm-hmm. And there's an orientation for drivers Mm -hmm. and I think new advisors, but never really not together, not the way we do it now where everyone's in a room together and we, we meet each other and we have an understanding of who it is that we go to and that you should never directly correct a student who isn't your own delegate. Um, And so that, I guess that's a positive change that comes out of this difficulty. Oh, I agree. And Um, I think we do have to acknowledge some of the difficulties were singular unusual difficulties due to the fact that we were holding session at evergreen state college the mood the mood of the ledge was just different most of the people there didn't remember ever having to hold session um anywhere other than at the capitol we hadn't been displaced in a number of years and so yeah not in our memory exactly Yeah. yeah and so the just the fact that we weren't on the capitol campus was so unexpected and disruptive that I think it changed a lot of people's attitudes and just the vibe of a like groovy college campus is different than the vibe of a Capitol building. And then we had just the space problems. I mean, I know what the Senate looked like and I know the house looked basically exactly the same. It's not like the Capitol where the wings are these sort of shadowy covered hallways where you really would feel intimidated stepping out into the light of the chamber to say, I say, sir, on, yeah. I'll think second time before you speak such accusations, right? You, you're just <laughs> yes. all standing in a student lecture hall. What distinguishes the wings from chamber is just like maybe a piece of like m- like blue painter's tape or something. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's a reminder that although we do emphasize, we've had to these past couple of years, that the Capitol building isn't what makes youth and government special. There is something about architecture and space that really does shape how we interact with each other. Well, and I mean, to some extent, also how you're dressed. Yeah. Like putting putting on the business suits and having a dress code 
you know, when you put on clothes that feel a little different, you also, I think, raise yourself up. Mm -hmm. And so when we're at the Capitol, it feels right to be in those clothes. But at Evergreen, of all college campuses, mm -hmm. is very hippie and funky. And I mean, it, we felt out of place. Students on campus are were interviewed in the Capitol Capers, mm -hmm. like Evergreen students saying, yeah, we thought you all were a youth choir. Yep. Um, we just looked different. And so I think that there was some temptation to relax a little yes. because the environment was relaxed. Um, but we should wrap this up. We should. I, I mean, if I can make a single closing comment about impeachment. Absolutely. I think it's just all of the things we've been describing here, almost all of them, we can't fix like when earthquakes happen. True. But the rest of it is kind of what this podcast is about, right? Um, our perception of what happened at session that really did um make for a worse time a more tense more stressful time for a lot of students um in a way that i think was detrimental could have been avoided with um advisors who were better trained and and better prepared for their work um a better connection between ad advisors and student leaders and a better understanding on both their sides of what student leaders could and couldn't do, um, could or couldn't say to try and manage and diffuse and, you know, do all those things. How to, how to deal with sort of cranky that guy members of the house. I think that's what you and I would hope is that we don't have a situation like 2001 again, even if we were at Evergreen again, um, because we know we can do better than that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, part of this, I so much time was wasted mm over misunderstandings mm -hmm. that I think like draw, taking issue with a leader who is not performing up to the standards we should expect that's well within our rules of order to say like hey speaker you're not calling fairly on all of us or something like mm -hmm. that um, but to do it through impeachment rather than through a page note or a conversation in a recess right, or something right. like that that if we can like I don't want to take the joy of the process away from the students and allowing them to go through these kinds of things where, oh, I see a motion that I think resolves the situation that I'm having. Mm -hmm. Like, I would want the students to be able to do that. But when it gets so out of hand like this, hours and hours were spent, tears were shed, yeah. like yeah. closed door secret meetings happened to try and resolve this, that so much more could have been accomplished at session mm -hmm. had we been able to communicate a little bit better um, and then have a little bit more training. So, I mean, in the end of it all, the Speaker of the House was never removed from her position. Correct. She continued on mm -hmm. quite successfully yes. for the rest of session. Yes. We all survived it. And mm -hmm. the, the lack of massive amounts of students returning to our program over the subsequent years was not about this situation, but more, I think, about just dealing with the earthquake for several years to come the following year we were in the capital but it was like getting ready to be shut down for renovations That's right. and the two years following that we were in the parking lot well and and 2002 was its own disruptive stressful um session which we'll have to do an episode on sooner or later but sure i i, I do think that in some ways the combined memories of 01 and 02 either one of them on its own would have been just a slightly sour note in an otherwise like fun list of YAG memories. But depending on where you were at for those two sessions, you could easily at the end of those two years walk away thinking, 
ah, oh, this is, this is more, you know, this is more stress than it's worth, right? That certainly wasn't your yeah. reaction or my reaction, but I do have yeah. a feeling that it, that was a, a factor in attendance, along with what you're describing about modular buildings and stuff. Well, and I mean, looking at the list of delegations, because we had 447 delegates, high school delegates Crazy. from 30 delegations. Yeah. And I mean, if I go down the list, I think we only have 10 of these delegations left mm-hmm. still participating. Mm-hmm. And some have died down and come back in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I think that it was, there were probably some groups who thought, is this what this is? Yeah. Like, ah, yeah. I don't know if this is worth it. Um, and listeners, it's worth it. Oh, yeah. You should come. Yeah. If, you're all, if you're listening and you don't do Youth Ledge, I don't know why you're listening, <laughs> but thank you. And you should come. Yes. Um, I'm sure there's more to be said about 2001 oh. at a future time. We'll probably loop back because there's so much. But we have to leave them wanting more. <laughs> and this is already very long. If you do want more, you should definitely email us at yaganrecreation at gmail.com and let us know what it is that you want more of. Because we are going to continue to give you what we like talking about right. until someone tells us otherwise. And if you've got a year to suggest or a, a great interview subject to suggest, like Michelle, um, thanks again to our guests this week. Like, yeah, tell us. Yes, we love talking to people about Youth Ledge. We can't stop. Mm-hmm. We have lots of bill books we can look at. And we didn't even talk about the bills of 2001. Oh, my gosh. So no. there will be more. Yes. But I think that's all we have really in the way of announcements. hmm And we'll be back sometime in the future with some more stories about a different year, I think. Yeah, and eventually we'll ramp up our, our new season, quote, unquote, of uh, some YAG content um, to supplement sure. what we did last year. Sure. Yes, Absolutely. All right. Well, um, this has been Yag and Recreation, and we're still James and Anna. Sure. And you'll hear from us again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Yag and Recreation, an Up Till Two Productions podcast. Yag and Recreation is co-written and co-hosted by my sister, Anna Hazen, and by me, James Rosenzweig and edited solely by the multi-talented Anna Hazen. Thanks also go to Tainum Fotheringo, our program and coolness consultant, to Jeff Hazen for composing and recording our introductory music and providing on-call technical support, and to Ben and Sam Hazen for additional incidental music and fully artist work. We'll see you next week. And that's all for today.